Well, uh, I'll add my, my thanksgiving to Redeemer Church on behalf of RUF. Uh, we really do. We want to say thank you in as many ways as we can because uh, this church and its people, you have faithfully loved and supported uh, our denomination's ministry to college students for a long time. And uh, we just want to say thank you. And it is a real joy for me, for me to be with you all this morning. Uh, drove in late last night from Baton Rouge, crashed, and here we are, getting going at 8 a.m. It's wonderful. So thank you for having me uh, to be with you. Let me pray for us before we read the Word and take a look at it this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have not left us to our own thoughts and devices. You've not given us a flashlight and said good luck in this dark world. You have given us Your Word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank You for that. We thank You uh, for Jesus, the One to whom the Word finds its meaning and its fulfillment. Jesus, the One whom our lives, in whom we find our meaning and our fulfillment. Jesus, we, we pray that You would send Your Spirit. And that Spirit would come and unstop our ears and open the eyes of our heart that we may see You as beautiful and as believable and as the One for whom our soul longs. We love You, Lord. We pray all these things and ask Him in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but as you're turning there in, in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to be going back to that a pretty good bit, so you may leave it open or leave your phone on or whatever. Um, I don't know if you know this, but our, our culture and, and us as a part of that culture, um, we are, we're a people who are fascinated, if not obsessed, with the idea of wholeness. The idea of wholeness. Um, w- when you want to go on a diet... You go all in for 30 days on the whole 30 diet. When you want to go get some really nice groceries and spend all your monies doing that, you go to Whole Foods. When you, uh, when you want to eat a healthy cereal or a nice loaf of bread, you get the ones made from whole grain as opposed to the unwhole grain, whatever those are. <laughs> Medical world has picked up on this, and I don't know how new this kind of Uh, advertising or marketing slant is, if not the whole treatment itself, but the idea that you're not just going for like one little thing, you're going to receive holistic care. And there's whole clinics and and institutions given toward that kind of medical care. And then uh, you have football. Yesterday I was watching football, and the universities, they will come on your screen and they will brag about their university that you're watching on TV, and they will tell you something to the effect of, Send your students here. Send your children here. We will educate the whole man. We're here for the whole person. We'll give them a good academic uh, education. We'll, we'll integrate them socially into this world. We'll teach them how to be whole people in this world. And then you have donut holes, which are no, not related, but they're good too. <laughs> There's also this idea of, of a whole person. I want you to think for a moment about someone that you would call a whole person. Someone whose, whose words matched up their, with their works. Who, as you thought about them and saw them in the public, you would think, you know what, I bet they're the same people when no one else is watching in the private. Someone whose, whose life was whole. It was integrated. Maybe that was a grandmother for you. Maybe it was an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, a parent, a friend. Who was it? 
This morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to see the Apostle Paul write about the whole gospel for the whole person, and that it might impact and move out into the whole world. And as we're looking at this and considering what this whole gospel means, as for me as a, as a whole person or someone who's becoming a whole person and moving out of the whole world, I want you to think about and have sit in the back of your mind this one question. Am I a whole person? Has that whole gospel reached me in such a way that I am or I'm becoming more of what God is wanting me to be? And so let's look down and let's read this passage together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2-10. through 10. This is God's Word. Apostle Paul writes and says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our Gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the Word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is God's Word for God's people. This morning as we consider this text, I want us to think about it in three ways. First, we will see that this whole Gospel comes and is always about the Word. That the whole Gospel is always about the Word. The next thing we'll see is that this whole Gospel, which is for the whole person, is never just about the Word. That it's never just about the Word. And lastly, we're going to see that this whole Gospel, which is made for the whole person to make us into whole people, then moves us out into the whole world with that Gospel. So, let's jump in right here. Look down at verse 5 with me. In verse 5, when, when, when this Gospel comes from Paul and Silvanus, who is elsewhere called Silas, and Timothy, to these Thessalonian Christians, and Thessalonica was a region uh, in, in that part of the world, around Achaia and Macedonia, it says that it came to them not only in word. It came to them not only in word. Now, our whole second point this morning is going to be what about that not only stuff? But when it says it came to them not only in word, that means what? It definitely came to them in word. That this whole gospel that Paul is bringing and is, is writing to these Thessalonians about, this whole gospel is always definitely about the word. When I was uh, growing up, when I was in junior, junior high, in fact, which are the worst years of any human's life. Um, in small town Oklahoma, we would go once a year to this, uh, this conference that was being held in the big city of Tulsa. And uh, we would pack up the church bus or a couple church vans or some old Suburbans, and we would drive up there. And it was, I mean, it was a show. 
There was thousands of, of young people like us, and there were lights and probably fog machines and so much fun over this weekend. And one of the big things about this conference was you, you'd get 10 or $20 and you'd bring it with you and you'd buy t-shirts, like really bad, cheesy Christian t-shirts. And, you know, there was one that was, uh, instead of Coca-Cola written across the front, it was Jesus Christ. And like Coca-Cola, he was the real thing too. Um, in Oklahoma, a real big hit was the, John, the fake John Deere t-shirt, right? And John Deere written in block font. Instead of that, it said Jesus Christ, like the one you can rely on or something like that. The, uh, there was the one where Jesus uh, was, uh, or on the front, it said, how much does God love you? Question mark. And on the back, you had white Jesus spread out, and it said this much. He loves you this much. That one's not cheesy, but it's one of the favorites. But there was one year where the shirt that caught on like wildfire was, uh, it was a plain shirt. It didn't have anything, you know, no graphics or anything like that. And across the front it said, a quote by, the name, uh, by a man named St. Francis of Assisi. And it said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And, and that's, a, that's a great saying. It's actually kind of a riff off of what that guy actually said. That's all right. But I, even in my confused junior high mind, I kept thinking, man, that is, that's kind of weird. Because we are here for like three days listening to this man up on stage use a lot of words to talk to us about Jesus. And he's speaking from this book that has a lot of words about Jesus. And so I started thinking, man, it's got to be about words though, right? Like there's got to be something in this gospel, in this faith, which is centered on the Word. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians is that's absolutely right. It's about other things, not only in Word, but friends, the whole Gospel, which will and is meant to transform us into whole people, is always about the Word. So what's that Word? Paul and other New Testament writers go at length elsewhere to tell us what that Word is. It's the Word of the Gospel. It's the Word that says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of, of whom we are all the most. If you aren't the most sinful person you know, you're, you're messed up. You ain't thinking about it right. But the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus came and He's the one who pursues sinners. He is the Lord in the prodigal son story who, who yes, the son goes out and lives crazy. But he comes back and you see the father run and get him and robe him and bring him back in and celebrate because that son who was lost is now found. That's Jesus. It's also Jesus who he says that, that there's a story about the, the field and it has the pearl of great price and it's, it's out there. And the farmer does what? He buys the whole field for that, for that treasure, for that pearl. And he says, guess what? You're the treasure elsewhere. You're the pearl. Yes, we're sinners, but we have extreme value and, and worth to God. Or elsewhere, he says that you're like that lost coin. That you've been lost inside the house. You've been close to God the whole time. But you're lost in your morality and your goodness and in your obedience and always doing what mom and dad say or what the law says or what, what your boss says. And, and you're so good that you don't think you need Jesus and what He's come to do. Jesus says, you're lost, but guess what? I'm going to turn the house upside down to find you. Because I love you and I came for people like you. 
And that's the gospel word which comes to us. It's a word of His love and His mercy and His grace that is sufficient for your lostness, whether you are far out or up close. Lost to God. But that whole gospel, as much as it is about that word, friends, it is never just about that word. Look back at the text beginning in verse 4. Paul says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. He goes on and says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. What is Paul saying? As he writes to them, he is saying, look, the way that we knew that you had become God's people, that you had been redeemed, that, that you were chosen of God, the way we knew that is because the Holy Spirit had taken that Gospel Word down into their hearts and it was starting to flow out of their life in Gospel works. That that Word was producing fruit in them. It was changing them. It was making them imitate Paul and his friends and the other missionaries and the other apostles. It was the self-replicating gene of the Gospel which had gone into them and was now going out of them. Now look, when we start thinking about Paul and elsewhere, he just tells some people, he's like, look, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. If you're anything like me, that, that makes us a little bit nervous. Because you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not that sure I want anybody to imitate me. Right? My friend Sammy says, you know, he's got a bunch of kids and I got a bunch of kids. And, and he says, I've stopped saving for my kids' college funds. I've just started saving for their counseling fund. Because these little people around us, like they see what we do and that should terrify us with the kids. Paul says, imitate us. And he looks back and says, look, the way I know the Gospel Word went down into your heart is that you begin to imitate us and, and your works showed forth that the Word had taken root in your heart. I want us to think about a few ways of, of seeing this. That, Of course, Jesus, He was, he was, the, the, pen, he was the ultimate whole person. The only one of those who has ever lived. And so, of course, his, his life matched up with His words. His word and deed always went together, and that was the nature of His public ministry and of His very character and being. But think very specifically about a couple things that Jesus said. On one hand, in the Sermon on the Mount, in that great teaching, He comes and, and He's saying that there will be people who come to Me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name? That's terrifying for pastors. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we volunteer to lead a small group in RUF? Didn't we work on racial reconciliation? Didn't we work the after school program? Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? And Jesus says what to them? I never knew you. Depart from me. And so here were these people who had all the works. But Jesus, as the very incarnate Word of God, says, You didn't know me. The Word. So I don't know you. And on the other hand, there was a whole group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees get a bad rap. Understandably, some ways. A lot of ways, maybe. The Pharisees were people who they knew the Word of God to the T. They knew the Word of God so well, they thought of themselves as graduates from the school of God. And they had gone on to add additional words and rules to, that they could follow to keep them from disobeying the original words and all this stuff. 
These were people who they knew the Word. And yet, when you look at their life, their works, it didn't match up, right? Because when they were around, the, the people that the society called the obvious sinners or the big sinners or those people or people like you or people like me, the Pharisees would distance themselves and they'd say, no, I don't, I don't know about that lady or I don't know about that guy or I don't know about that tax collector or whatever. And what did they show in doing that? That they, they may have had the Word, but they didn't have the works. And friends, Jesus saved some of His strongest words of critique for the Pharisees. He says this in Matthew 23, you are like whitewashed tombs. That you look so fresh and clean, clean on the outside, but, but you do not know Me on the inside. You are polished, but you are dead. See, it can't ever be either or. It has to be both and. Think about in our own country and our, our, the, the history of the church in America. And I'm going to speak with generalities here and with broad strokes. But it, after, before, during, after the Civil War, the, our country and the church in our country split predictably around, along northern and southern lines. And again, in, in broad strokes, there were good churches in the north and there were bad churches in the south and vice versa and all this. But in broad strokes, the church in the north they were a church, they were a people who said, we are going to specialize in the works of the Gospel. We're going to specialize in the works of the Gospel. And they did, and they went all in, and they created all these systems and all these programs and all these institutions and all these structures so that people could, could believe, so that people would, would have a way of, of experiencing Jesus and having their needs taken care of. And they looked down at the church in the south and they said, see, look at all the stuff we're doing. We're doing it right. At the same time, the church in the south, they were looking and saying, no, no, we're doing it right. We're doing it right. Look at, look at how smart our pastors are. Look at the big books that they write. Look at how eloquent they are in their preaching and their speaking. Look at how big our churches are. And they looked at the church in the north and they said, no, we're doing it right and you're doing it wrong. And yet, so it was in all of their concern for precision in the Word and for, for nuancing the Bible in all these ways, which were right and doctrinally correct and all that, they overlooked, rather conveniently, <laughs> some really big issues that they were in bed with. And they said, no, we can't touch that because that will mess up our big church stuff. And the church in the north looked down at the church in the south and said, no, you can't do it that way. And the church in the south looked at the church in the north and said, no, you can't do it that way. And both of them we're falling short. Because you see, with the whole Gospel, it is never just focusing on the Word or focusing on the works. It is both and at all times, or it is neither nor at all times. Because the Gospel is always meant to go down deep into us and move us out into the world to change us and to change the world around us so that people may see the Lord of glory living in and through us. Now you might be asking, how, how do I do that then? Maybe you find yourself, I'm better at one than the other. Or maybe my life leans this way or leans that way. How do, how do we become whole people shaped by this whole Gospel? Well, there are so many things that I could say right now. I mean, there are hundreds if not thousands of ways to talk about how the Gospel shapes us and challenges us and reorients our life. But the Apostle Paul gives us two things in this passage. 
He just gives them right to us. So let's look down in there. The first one of those things in verse 5. He says, one of the ways the whole Gospel shapes you into a whole person is that you receive the Word with full conviction. With full conviction. That word can also mean assurance. That you receive the Word in full conviction. And then right after that, verse 6, He says that you find joy in the midst of affliction. You find joy in the midst of affliction. So there's the receiving of Word with full conviction and the finding joy in the midst of affliction. How do we do that? Um, I was, uh, as Elbert said, I drive around a lot as I head to these different campuses uh, in this part of the world and up in Arkansas and all kinds of places. So I'm in the car a lot, and so I listen to a lot of books on tape and, and radio and all that stuff. Last week, two weeks ago, I was driving around Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, this man named David Brooks, he's an author and a journalist and writer and a lot of other things. He's written a book called The Second Mountain. And in that book, he is talking about, he's making a point about uh, he's observed and knows uh, people who are extremely generous with their life and the way they spend their time and their talent and their treasure. And, and he's trying to investigate, well, how does someone become that? How does, someone, how does someone's life, as he calls it, become incandescent like a light bulb that shines out into the world around them and for other people's good? And he says, to make that point, he says that he studied criminologists and criminologists who themselves were studying people who tragically, would go out and, and commit these, these mass murders and these, um, these serial killings that are happening all across our country. And he said, what is going on? These criminologists study this. And what they say is that, look, these people who do these terrible things, that they walk through a lot of small doors through the course of their life before they walk through the big door of taking someone else's life. That it is lots of, of small decisions along the way that they have made and committed themselves to of hatred or violence before they walk through that big one and do the most unforeseen thing. He flips that and says, so it is with generous people. That usually you don't just make one big decision and, and become radically generous with your life. It's all kinds of prior commitments and little small decisions. And as I heard this, I thought, man, that, that is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That we don't become the whole people that the Gospel wants to shape us into just in one big decision or in one big step. There's not one big door that you walk through and you say, I'm here. It is hundreds and thousands of little decisions that you make and that I make in following Jesus. In laying down our life to ourself and living for self and live for the good of others to the glory of God. We need to realize that the Christian life is the anti-fad diet. It is not whole 30. It is whole life. It is lots of unseen decisions and moments that you and I make, that we have, choices that we make in following Jesus. So when the Apostle Paul talks about receiving this Word and living a life with full conviction, he says in verse 9 that, that here's what it looked like in the Thessalonian Christians. That the way that their lives changed was they began to repent of their idols. That there were these things in their life which they once held close. And Paul's saying, the way that I know that, that you've been changed and the Gospel Word's going down into you is that you are now turning from the old works of your life and you are repenting of those things. And you're believing the Gospel again. And you're moving out. 
You repent, you believe, you move out. You repent, you believe, you move out. Friends, that is the march of the Gospel. And it's always those things. Just again and again. And so, when sin comes back in, what do you do? You don't, you don't go start over and say, I'm not a Christian, I've got to walk through the door and be a Christian again. It's, no, you repent. And you believe the Gospel again that Jesus really does love you. And He knew you would screw up when you did it. Before you did it. And you move back out into the world. Now, how do we find joy in affliction? Well, we have to, as Paul says in verse 10 right there, look down. He says we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and we have to wait for Him. Think about what he's saying. He's saying the way that you find joy in the midst of your affliction is you look at the One who has faced the greatest affliction this world has ever known on the cross. And He is the One who Hebrews 12.2 of whom it says that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, as He was anticipating the cross, as He was moving toward the cross through the whole course of His life, He saw joy on the other side of that affliction. And what Paul is saying is that if you want to see joy on the other side of your affliction, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the only way that, that our affliction and our messed upness and, and the messed upness around us, that He's the only way that all of this stuff comes un, un, untrue and that the sadness becomes untrue and that there is joy on the other side of it. And what does Paul say? He says it's because in Jesus, the cross wasn't the final word. He says He was raised to life. Friends, that is it. Joy through affliction comes in looking at Jesus who, though for the sorrow set before Him, or the joy before Him, He endured the cross because He knew that there was resurrection life on the other side of that affliction. And you have to know too, that if you trust in Christ by faith, as you're holding to Him, as you are united to Him, your afflictions do not have the final word over you. There is joy for you. There is a better word for you. Let me put it this way. Day by day, as you look at the seemingly disconnected pains and trials and turmoil and frustrations and sin and sinned againstness, in all of those things, as you look at the knots of all that stuff, friends, we are looking at the backside of a tapestry. Have you ever seen that? I don't. Probably had one in some day, but it doesn't anymore. Some old tapestries, right? And they're beautiful kind of on one side, but you look at the other side and it's like knots and it's stringy and it doesn't look like any. It looks like a mess. Right now, I would venture to say that many of you look at yourself and say, man, my life, if it doesn't look like a mess, it at least feels like a mess. And I don't know how to make sense of it all. It's knotty. It's stringy. It doesn't look pretty. And God is on the other side saying, that's right. But I am weaving something beautiful together through your afflictions. I am putting something beautiful in place here through your pain and your discomfort and your sin and your repentance and all of this. Because God is committed to us with His whole Gospel to make us into whole people. And lastly, we see that that takes us out into the whole world. Look back verse 8. It says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. 
so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul's saying two things in here. First, look at verse 8. It's saying that the Word has sounded forth strongly from these Thessalonians. In fact, so strongly that not only has it kind of traveled regionally here, which would have been Macedonia and Achaia, but he's saying it's gone forth everywhere. And it's gone forth so strongly that Paul is saying, look, when we show up and when these other missionaries show up, when we show up because your Gospel Word has already gone forth so strongly, he says, verse 8, that we don't even need to say anything. Now look, I don't know how many pastors you've ever met that don't think they need to say anything, but this is a miracle. (laughs) Paul is saying the Word has gone forth strongly from you. Not just here regionally, but everywhere. But notice what he said. It's not just the Word that went forth. Look down, verse 9. It says that they report, and they would be the Achaeans and the Macedonians and the everywhere else ends, and that they are reporting about you concerning us and what kind of reception we had among you. What's happening? The way that the Thessalonians had been hospitable and treated Paul and Silas and Timothy and all the other missionaries, the way they had been treated, that had spoken to the people everywhere. That it was the Gospel Word, but it was also the Gospel works. And how the Thessalonians were turning from their idols, that was being preached and modeled throughout this whole land. Word and works for the whole person to the whole world, Paul says. The temptation for us in here this morning, for little old you and me, for little old us, is that we look and say, yeah, but I mean, that's... That's the Thessalonians. Like they're the Hall of Fame church. They made it in the Bible. They're a big deal. And so you, you leave here and you go to your home. And this week you may go to work or you may stay at home and, and be with your kids and be running shuttle around town. Or you may go back to your campus. Or as a campus minister, you walk onto that campus and you're thinking, what do I as a 30-year-old person have to give these cool, hip college students with all their devices and all their... Coolness. What do I have to give to them? What do you have to give to the people around you? Paul says everything. Because you have Jesus to give them. You have the whole Gospel. And look, it may start and it may seem and it may stay small and seemingly insignificant. But that's the way the Gospel works. It always starts small and insignificant. It started with a baby in a barn. It was just a normal boy. He grew up to be a carpenter who started preaching and nobody listened. Who then was being carted around and he preached and people hated him. Who then at the end of his life got drug out of the city and died on a cross, which was a terrible death. Alone, away from the crowds. Seemingly insignificant. Changed the world. I hope that you know that your small and seemingly insignificant works of the Word can change the world. But it's probably going to start small and it's probably going to start like in your family or with your friends or at your work or at your school. It always works that way. I think about Phoebe, and I'll close here. Phoebe was 
uh, a student who, when I was at the University of Tulsa, I was just starting. I, I was that insecure 30-year-old pastor who showed up wondering, what in the world do I have to do here? And I met Phoebe, and she was a freshman. She had come uh, to Tulsa from a small town in Texas. And, and Phoebe was wonderful. She was a wonderful young woman. Um, she, was, she had what we would call social anxiety, which meant that crowds were not her thing, and they would never, in fact, be her thing. And so... Uh, Phoebe, but, but she was a living, breathing person, so she was my ministry for that year. <laughs> I was like, all right, come on, let's do this. So I met one-on-one with Phoebe. I did a freshman Bible study, and guess what? It was another one-on-one with Phoebe because she was the only one that would come. And the next year we did another small group, and a lot of times it was just me and Phoebe. But here's the thing. Like, Phoebe was so wonderful, but, but you were never going to build a group around Phoebe. Now, in RUF, we don't use people. We're not trying to, like, use them just for what they can give us. But, you know, sometimes you get people who are big personalities, and they're like, hey, friends, come with me to RUF. And that's just a different kind of person. We love both. But Phoebe just lived her Phoebe life. Behind the scenes, in small, unnoticeable ways. And then senior night, which is our last Wednesday night of every, every year. Senior night came when Phoebe was a senior, and... Um, there were about three or four, actually more like five or six people who, who stood up that night, and our group had grown some, and there were more folks around. About four or five, six people who stood up that night and talked about Phoebe and how Phoebe came to their room and talked to them and just was their friend, or how Phoebe stayed up with them when they were going through the failed test or the parents' divorce or the, the bulimia or the anorexia that they had, because Phoebe knew that world. And she just sat with them, and she walked this long, hard road with these people. Friends, that is how the Gospel goes out into the whole world. Next week, next Sunday, you're going to have missionaries in these other parts of the world come and tell you, I'm sure, amazing stories. But I bet if you talk to them, they will not see themselves as some amazing people. They will just look and say in their own small and probably what seemed insignificant ways along the way. They sought to follow Jesus as they had received the Gospel of Jesus and it had captivated them and changed them. They just sought to follow Him in whatever next little step that was and whatever small little door they had to walk through. So what is it with you? Is that Gospel Word taking root in your heart making you into the kind of person who is simply responding to it and moving out into the place around you. Like Phoebe. You may never know. Nobody else may ever see you do big things. But Jesus is the God of the small things as He does all of His big things through us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You are a big God. And You use little old us to take out Your big old Gospel. Lord, we thank You for Your Spirit which applies this good news to our heart and empowers us and changes us so that we might live for You in Your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.